Welcome back to the book of Leviticus, and we are learning how to be New Testament priests as we study the priesthood of the ancient Hebrews, a picture of you and I. Remember Aaron, the high priest, a picture of Jesus, our high priest, Hebrews 8, 1 tells us, and his sons, a picture of you and I. Though they weren't high priests, they were indeed priests of God that ministered before God the sacrifices of the people of God. Exactly what you and I are doing on a daily basis, according to 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 5. And so what we're learning here in Leviticus 14 is uh, we're learning about the nature of sin, specifically as we study uh, ancient disease of leprosy. And really Leviticus 13 and 14, well, it's a study of leprosy. It's really a study on sin and the nature of sin. We saw that last time in Leviticus 13, the parallels between this dreaded ancient disease of leprosy and the disease that plagues humanity. I'm talking about the leprosy of sin. Uh, remember last time how we saw leprosy would begin with just a little speck somewhere on the body. And that's the nature of sin. It doesn't begin as a large thing, but rather just a speck. And that speck that goes unchecked will eventually spread and take over our entire life. And that's how leprosy worked in the ancient world. It would begin with just a little speck. Nobody woke up one day and covered from head to foot in leprosy. And of course, uh, leprosy was a sin that actually began beneath the surface. It was uh, more than just skin deep. It was something that lurked far, far beneath and eventually would come to surface. And that, of course, is the nature of sin. It's not merely what we do, but what we are is the problem. We said last time, the problem for human beings is a problem of the human heart. Revelation, I should say, uh, Jeremiah 17 and verse 9. And so the parallels go really on and on. As, as we study leprosy, we can see the nature of sin in our lives personally. Now, Leviticus chapter 14 is going to give us an amazing picture in ancient days of how a leper was formally cleansed and how he was brought back then into the larger community, society. Remember, the priest was responsible for guarding against an outbreak of leprosy, just like you and I as New Testament priests, we are responsible for guarding against an outbreak of sin, whether it be in our life or in the camp that we lead, our, our family, our marriage, our small group, our church. We're to stand guard, as these ancient priests did, against sin uh, and leprosy. We, too, are to stand in these modern days as New Testament priests against an outbreak of sin. And so I want you to see now, though, when somebody was cleansed of leprosy in the ancient days, this amazing picture, Leviticus chapter 14, tells us about the ceremonial cleansing of the leper, which in a devotional sense is a picture of our salvation. Absolutely amazing picture God is going to paint here as we study how these priests would ceremonially cleanse this leper when he'd been cleansed and then bring him back into uh, Hebrew society, no longer needing to be quarantined, no longer outside the camp. He'd bring him back in the camp. And I want you to remember what we learned. This is a picture of Jesus in some way. First of all, how Jesus died outside the camp. He became a leper for us. He took our sin for us instead of us. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. And just like that leper in ancient days was cast outside the camp, and they were destined to die alone. That's exactly what happened to Jesus because he took our sin. Uh, he was de de delivered as though he was unclean, and he was killed 
outside the camp. Let's pick it up now, Leviticus 14, beginning in verse 1. It says this, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, This shall be the law of the leper for the day of his cleansing. He shall be brought to the priest, and the priest shall go out of the camp, and the priest shall examine him. And indeed, if the leprosy is healed in the leper, then the priest shall command to take for him who is to be cleansed two living and clean birds, cedar, wood, scarlet, and hyssop. And the priest shall command the one of the birds be killed in an earthen vessel over running water. Absolutely amazing picture here in the making. Uh, they were to take two birds, all right? Once this leper was considered cleansed or clean, he would be ceremonially cleansed now, and it would all begin with taking two birds, two clean birds. Now, I want you to notice these birds were clean birds, and look at what they would do with them. Verse 4, Then the priest shall command to take for him who is to be cleansed two living and clean birds, cedar wood, scarlet, and hyssop. And the priest shall command that one of the birds be killed in an earthen vessel over running water. As for the living bird, he shall take it and the cedar wood and the scarlet and the hyssop and dip them in, and the living bird in the blood of the bird that was killed over the running water. And you shall sprinkle it seven times on him who is to be cleansed from the leprosy and shall pronounce him clean and shall let the living bird loose in an open field. Absolutely amazing picture in the making right here. Now understand what's going on. This leper has been cleansed in some way, probably miraculously. Uh, and as Jesus would cleanse lepers in the New Testament before they could come back into Jewish society, these are the steps they would have had to take as they are ceremonially now considered clean and brought back into the larger body of the Hebrews. They were to take two of these birds. Understand, one of these birds is killed. The other one is set free. One of these birds is killed, the other is not. And then the blood of one of these birds is spilled, the other then is set free. There's already a picture emerging, isn't it? Both these birds are begin as, as, as alive. These are living birds. Now, in order to deal with sin, there always must be a substitute. And of course, that's what we see happening now in Leviticus 14 with one bird that dies and another one then lives. And the only reason one could live because one had to die. Listen, if you've been listening and learning through our study of Leviticus, this statement alone ought to begin drawing lines around the picture that God is now painting. You see, the dove that dies is a picture of Jesus Christ, while the one that is set free is a picture of you and me. Now, it doesn't say specifically here that this is a dove, but we know that doves were often used as sacrifices, a turtle dove. And so while it doesn't say turtle dove, I think it certainly is implied because in other places as God is giving us the offerings of the ancient Hebrews, depending on the material ability, the wealth of that one making the offering, instead of bringing a ram or a lamb or a bull, they could bring a turtle dove. This is why Joseph and Mary, for example, brought a burnt offering as they dedicated Jesus. Uh, they brought a turtle dove because they were a poor family. So this leper who obviously is in poverty, he's lived outside the community, he's now bringing two turtle doves, clean birds, and both of them were clean. One was going to die, so the other, of course, 
could live. I want you to notice this dove is clean. Leviticus 11 is where we learn the difference between clean and unclean animals, clean and unclean birds. These birds were to be clean, and the reason why is only a clean substitute would do. He couldn't bring, for example, a raven or an owl or another one of those unclean birds listed in Leviticus 11, a vulture, let's say. It had to be a clean bird because here's the reality. Only one that is clean, in this case Jesus, could cleanse that which was unclean. That's you and me. And once, of course, he cleansed us, we too then become clean. So you have two clean birds, one of which has died, and the other one will be set free. Now, the one being cleansed of leprosy also had to bring scarlet, cedar, and hyssop in addition to the two doves. Uh, look what it says now in verse 4. It says, Then the priest shall command to take for him who is to be cleansed two living and clean birds, cedar wood, scarlet, and hyssop. Now, it's not hard to figure out what the scarlet is. Scarlet, of course, is the picture of blood. Scarlet is uh, the color of blood. Of course, there is no remission of sin without the shedding of blood. Not hard to figure this one out at all. But the cedar wood and the hyssop, a little bit of a mystery here. Not really sure. Allow me to speculate uh, just a little bit. The cedar and hyssop possibly represent types of people. Trees in the Word of God are pictures of people. We know that much for sure. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, speaking of people, a good tree cannot bear bad fruit and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. You shall know them by their fruits. And so we know that Jesus equated symbolically trees to people. Maybe there's something here going on. What I do know in ancient days, cedar was considered a very noble wood, a very honorable tree. Uh, remember, it was the cedars of Lebanon, which Lebanon is still known uh, very famously for their large forests of huge cedar trees. And of course, we know that Solomon built his temple with cedars from Lebanon. So cedars were known as large, strong, uh, honorable, noble trees in the ancient world, while hyssop was a very small tree. And it could be representing the fact that God offers salvation for everybody, large and small. Uh, cedar was highly valued in the ancient world. Uh, hyssop was uh, very common. And the hyssop, actually, more than a tree, it's almost more like a bush. And it would be used uh, for uh, several things, one of which was a sponge. It was Its wood was a spongy-like material. Uh, but it was a very common tree where large cedars for building were far less common. And so maybe possibly something going on here like that, not 100% sure. But what I do know is that you have scarlet representing the blood. You have uh, the, the cedar wood representing a very significant uh, type of tree. And then you have the hyssop, very small type of tree. You see here God telling the leper uh, to take some cedar, some hyssop, uh, and then they're going to be totally cleansed from top to bottom. And uh, look at verse 5. It says this, And the priest shall command that one of the birds be killed in an earthen vessel over running water. Now the picture even gets clearer. I mean, God is going to take with a stroke of the pen over and over again even more detail of the picture that is emerging here. Remember, this bird that dies, this dove, 
is a picture of Jesus. He's the one who gave his life for the one to be set free. But notice specifically, this bird is said to be killed in an earthen vessel over running water. Why? It's a picture of Jesus. Because Jesus, of course, came in an earthen vessel. John 1 and verse 1, in the beginning was God, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And verse 14 says, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus put on an earthen vessel. Uh, it says in Philippians 2 and verse 5, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it in a bribery to be equal to God, but made himself of no reputation. And being found in the fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. You see, he came fashioned as a man in a human body, an earthen vessel. And that's exactly the imagery the Apostle Paul uses in 1 Corinthians 4 in verse 7, where he says, we have this power, this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. And so in the ancient days, an earthen vessel, of course, was a clay pot or a clay jar. It was uh, made of earth. And, uh, of course, it would be uh, ancient pottery, uh, an earthen vessel. It had several different uses for it. But Paul says these bodies are like an earthen vessel. And we have the Spirit of God living within us. This treasure lives in earthen vessels. And these bodies are equated as earthen vessels. And, of course, Jesus came then with a body like ours, fashioned as a man in an earthen vessel. And I want you to see specifically the picture now that God is painting. Because here's this dove who's placed in an earthen vessel. And it's now slain in this earthen vessel. And not only is it slain in an earthen vessel, but it's slain uh, while running water is being poured over it. Absolutely remarkable. Look at verse 5 again. And the priest shall command that one of the birds be killed in an earthen vessel over running water. What on earth is going on here? This bird is killed in an earthen vessel over running water. And I don't think there's any doubt in my mind at least what's going on here. Ephesians 5.26 is the washing of water by the word. Remember what Jesus said to the woman at the well, John chapter 4. Uh, I am the living water, and he that comes to me will never thirst, and out of your belly, belly will flow rivers of living water. And in some way, that's what we see pictured right here. They were to soak then all of this in hyssop. Christ died in this earthen vessel. Uh, he died with a body like ours. And uh, as they did, they soaked this, hiss, this hyssop in vinegar. Now, remember what happens. As Jesus is dying on the cross in this earthen vessel, uh, what happens? According to John 19 and verse 34, uh, it's this, this, this pole, this cedar pole, with hyssop on the end of it soaked in vinegar. Now, it doesn't say it specifically, but I, I'm going to say probably, I can't prove this, but based on this passage in Leviticus 14, I'm going to suggest in all probability you have that hyssop, that sponge, tied on the end of a cedar pole and is tied with scarlet thread. And that, of course, was the... Uh, the way the Roman soldier was mocking Jesus when he said that he thirsted. This, this, uh, this hyssop 
that's soaked in vinegar offered to Jesus to drink, this hyssop attached to a pole tied probably, I can't prove it, but probably by a scarlet thread. Because that, you see, is the picture that is going on here, right here. I'm convinced in Leviticus chapter 14, too many elements as you connect the dots that this picture then begins to emerge. Now, look at verse 6. It says this, As for the living bird, he shall take it, and the cedar wood, and the scarlet, and the hyssop, and dip them, and the living bird, in the blood of the bird that was killed over the running water. And so this bird's been killed in this earthen vessel over the running water, and now the priest is to take the hyssop and the bird in some way fashion it, tie it on the pole, and then he is to dip it in the blood of that bird that was sacrificed. The living bird is dipped into the blood of the one that was sacrificed. So they pour the running water, if you kind of get a picture of what's going on here, they poured running water over the dove that was to be killed. And as they pour the running water, over the dove that was killed in this earthen vessel in some way pictures exactly what happened as blood and water is mingled together as Christ died and that Roman spear was thrust into his side. You have blood and water pouring out of his side. What do you have now out of this earthen vessel? You have blood and water pouring out of this earthen vessel as this dove is dying and the blood is, is shedding and the water is pouring. You have Jesus now on a cross in an earthen vessel. He's dying. His blood is shedding, and the water is pouring. Absolutely remarkable, the picture that God is painting. Now listen, the living bird is now dipped in that blood, that blood of the one that has now died. It's one of only two sacrifices in all of Scripture that is not killed. Uh, you have the scapegoat on the Day of Atonement that's allowed to escape out in the wilderness, uh, symbolically taking away the sins of Israel from sight. And now you have this dove that's allowed to live, this one that's allowed to live because the other one has died. In other words, a scarlet hyssop forms a kind of sponge held on a branch in cedar wood and this living bird is now dipped in the blood. You know why? Because it's exactly a picture of you and I. Remember, Jesus is a picture, is pictured in the one that dies. And this one now that is alive is a picture of you and I. The living sacrifice that you and I are now to become is dipped in the blood of the sacrifice that has died. Uh, Romans 12 and verse 1, remember what Paul said, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present yourself a living sacrifice, that you present your body a living sacrifice. Why can we present ourselves to God as a living sacrifice? Because Jesus presented himself to God as a dead sacrifice. Jesus died so that you and I can be fully alive. Now look at verse 6 again. It says, and for the living bird, he shall take it, and the cedar wood and scarlet, and the hyssop, and dip them, and the living bird, in the blood of the bird that was killed over the running water. Uh, I want you to see, this bird is alive. Uh, it's now dipped in the blood of this one that has died, and he's also being dipped with the running water. 
And that, of course, is a picture of what Jesus said about the running water and that life-giving water being that living water that he'll give in John chapter 4. Now, we're living uh, in a way that we're now being embodied by this bird. This bird is now stained. Think about it. He's dipped in the blood. He's now stained in the blood of this bird that died. A picture now of you and I. 1 John 1 and verse 7. The blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Uh, Revelation 1 verse 5, he has washed us from our sins in his own blood. We have been dipped and washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. You have this bird that's now alive being dipped in the blood of the bird that has died, a picture of what happens to you and I. Isaiah 1 18, though your sins be as scarlet, they can be as wool. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Here's the amazing thing about the blood of Christ. Get blood, any other blood, on your outfit. Hey, blood stains, it leaves a mark for life. It's very hard to get out, isn't it? You know anything about doing laundry, if you've maybe got a cut and you bled on a white shirt, you almost got to throw that white shirt out. Very hard to remove. But here's the amazing thing about the blood of Christ. There's no bleach like it anywhere in the world. You, uh, you dip your sin in the blood of Christ, you come out bright and white. You can't help but to see the imagery here in the Old Testament as uh, you begin to recognize what Jesus did for us and how he embodies everything right now that we're seeing in Leviticus chapter 14. The picture that God is painting is amazing. Unlike any other blood, the blood of Jesus leaves us without stain, leaves us white and clean over and over again. The picture that God here is painting continues to get clear. Look at verse 7 now. And he shall sprinkle it seven times on him who is to be cleansed from the leprosy and shall pronounce him clean and shall let the living bird loose in an open field. And so now they've taken the living bird and they've dipped it in the blood of the bird that has died. And now they're going to set that bird free in an open field. Dips him seven times. You guys know this number of completion. Uh, dips him once, twice, three times. On that seventh time, it's complete. Of course, that's a picture of our complete deliverance, our complete cleansing in the blood of Jesus Christ. As you know, the number seven is a picture of God's completion. What happens? The moment we confess our sin to him, he delivers us completely, forgiving us of all sin. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And that's a picture now as he's dipped seven times, completely cleansed of our sin, this bird. Now, he's set free in an open field. Now, if you know anything about Scripture, you know right away the imagery that is emerging. The living dove is set free into an open field. And in Scripture, the field is a picture of the world. Uh, Matthew chapter 13, Jesus tells us uh, that uh, the field is a picture of the world. Think about what Jesus said uh, when he said those words, lift up your eyes, the fields are white unto harvest. And so Jesus has dipped us in his blood seven times. We've been delivered from our sin, cleansed from our sin. Uh, our sins were scarlet, now they're white as wool, but he's not done. Now he sets us free for what reason? Acts 1 and verse 8, you shall be witnesses of me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. John chapter 4, lift up your eyes, the fields are white unto harvest. We've been set free 
into the harvest field, the world, to redeem those who are still not free. But by faith, they have an opportunity, like you and me, through the blood of Calvary. You see, we're set free into this field for a purpose, to go back and redeem those who are still not free. We call today the Great Commission. Remember what Jesus said as he's getting ready to ascend back into heaven? He said in Matthew 28, All power and authority has been given me in heaven and upon earth. Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And lo, I'll be with you always, even to the ends of the earth. That's our purpose now. We've been set free. Remember what Jesus said, If the Son shall set you free, you shall be free indeed. But we're not free just to do whatever we want to and live selfishly. We are free now to live missionally. We are free now to live in such a way as to impact other people's lives for eternity. As those that have been dipped in the blood of Jesus, cleansed of our sin, we have now a mission to live on, and that mission is redemption. Now, look at verse 8. Look at what it says. We go on. It says, He who is to be cleansed shall, be, shall wash his clothes shave off all his hair, and wash himself in water, that he may be clean. And that he shall uh, come into the camp, and shall stay outside his tent seven days. Now I want you to remember what's going on here. This leper would wash his clothes, and he would wash his clothes, uh, because of course it speaks of purification. His clothes has also been contaminated by this disease, this disease of leprosy. And so the leper would wash his clothes, speaking of purification, Revelation 7, 14. Uh, what happens after the washing of the blood comes Ephesians 5, 26, the washing of water by the, by the word. And so first you have this, this uh, bird that's dipped in the blood, picture of you and I set free. And now this leper who's brought that bird on his behalf, dipping it in the blood of the bird that died, is washing his clothes, a picture you see of you and I. But understand the order. Uh, you don't go through the washing of the water by the word until you've gone through the washing of the blood. The blood comes first and then comes water. Now notice in verse 8, only then can he come back into the camp. Verse 8, and he who is to be cleansed shall wash his clothes, shave off all his hair, and wash himself in water, that he may be clean. After that, he shall come into the camp and shall stay outside the tent seven days. But on the seventh day, he shall shave all the hair off his head and his beard and his eyebrows. All his hair he shall shave off. He shall wash his clothes and wash his body in water. He shall be clean. And on the eighth day, he shall take two male lambs without blemish, one ewe lamb and the first year without blemish, three-tenths of an ephah of fine flour mixed with oil and a grain offering, and one log of oil. Then the priest who makes him clean shall present the man who is to be made clean, and those things before the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. And so he's still not done. So he comes in the camp, but he stays outside the tabernacle for uh, seven days. The seventh day, of course, that day of completion. And uh, he's uh, completely now being cleansed in the sight of Israel. But then on the eighth day, of course, you guys know by now that the number eight, number of new beginnings, none of this coincidental, all of this providential. 
uh, because this leper is now at a place of new beginning in his life. Uh, he has been completely cleansed. There's the number seven. Now it's an opportunity for a new beginning. There is the number eight. And uh, what does he do? This leper brings two lambs, all right? These two uh, male lambs representing the sacrifice Christ made for his bride. Then he brings a female lamb representing the sacrifice the bride makes for him. Absolutely remarkable, isn't it? And he makes this offering now uh, before the Lord. Look at verse 14. And the priest shall take some of the blood of the trespass offering, and the priest shall put it on the tip of the right ear of him who is to be cleansed, and the thumb of the right hand, and the big toe of his right foot. And the priest shall take some of the log of oil and pour it into the palm of his own left hand. Then the priest shall dip his right finger in the oil that is in his left hand and shall sprinkle some of the oil with his finger seven times before the Lord. And the rest of the oil in his hand, the priest shall put some on the tip of his right ear of him, and it shall be cleansed, the thumb of his right hand, and on the big toe of the right foot, and the blood of the trespass offering. Once again, absolutely amazing. More and more of this picture emerging. Uh, this leper brings a male lamb and a female lamb, picturing the sacrifice that Jesus made for us, and then the sacrifice we, the bride, are to make for him. And then he takes that blood, and we've seen this before. Remember, we've seen it uh, already as God was consecrating Aaron and his sons to the priesthood. Takes some of that blood, puts it on his right ear, puts it on his right thumb, puts it on his right big toe. Absolutely remarkable. Don't have to explain a lot what's going on here because the priest would rub the blood on the right ear, the right thumb and the right big toe that he might hear the word of God, that he might do the will of God and then walk in the ways of God. And that's what's happening out of this leper. You were outside the camp of Israel picturing our condition apart from Christ. Uh, now he's been brought into the camp of Israel, into the family of God because of the blood of Jesus Christ, because of the dove that died we are now the one that was left alive, now set free to live in such a way as to impact eternity. And now we're consecrating the ear and the thumb and the right toe of the big of the of the right foot, big toe of the right foot. Why? Because now we're to hear the word of God, we are to do the will of God, and we're to walk in the ways of God. Now look at verse 15. Picture goes on. The priest would take some of the log of oil and pour it into the palm of his own left hand. Then the priest shall dip his right finger in the oil that is in his left hand and shall sprinkle some of the oil with his finger seven times before the Lord. And the rest of the oil in his hand, the priest shall put some on the tip of the right ear of him who is to be cleansed and on the thumb of his right hand and on the big toe of his right foot. So what's he doing now? He's taking the oil and he's putting in the very same places that he put the blood. The blood is applied, you see, on the thumb, the ear, and the right big toe because the, the, the imagery is obvious. The blood must be applied before the oil. You see, before you get the oil of God's Spirit, you got to come by way of the blood of God's Son. And that's what's being pictured now. The blood came first. 
And then the oil. He's now anointing this cleansed man with the oil. But the only reason he could be anointed with the oil is because he'd been cleansed by the blood. My friends, that is a picture, a beautiful picture of what happens to you and I at the moment of salvation. We come to God and are cleansed of our sin by the blood of the Son. And then immediately we are anointed by the power of God's Spirit. Romans 8, 9. He that has not the Spirit of Christ is none of his. The moment you receive the Son of God, you also then receive the indwelling Spirit of God. And that's what you see happening now in picture, a shadow as the priest would take the oil and anoint the very places where he had placed the blood. You see, only as you apply the blood daily can you now live in the power and anointing of God's Holy Spirit. You want to live in the power of the resurrection. It all comes back to embracing the crucifixion. Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ. I have been. Historically, it's happened already. But now, 1 Corinthians 15.31, I must do it daily. Skip on down here now um, to verse 33. I want you to see how this amazing picture uh, begins to end. Verse 33, and it says this. It says, And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, When you have come into the land of Canaan, which I give you as a possession, and I put the leprous plague in a house in the land of your possession, and he who owns the house comes and tells the priest, saying, It seems to me that there is some plague in the house. Then the priest shall command that they empty the house before the priest goes into it, in, to examine the plague, that all that is in the house may not be made unclean, and afterward the priest shall go in and examine the house. And he shall examine the plague, and indeed if the plague is on the walls of the house with an ingrained streaks, greenish or reddish, which appear to be deep in the wall, then the priest shall go out of the house to the door of the house and shut up the house seven days. And the priest shall come again on the seventh day and look, and indeed if the plague has spread on the walls of the house, and the priest shall command that they take away the stones in which is the plague, and they shall cast them into an unclean place outside the city. Hey, now practically, they're preparing to go in to the promised land, and they're going to inhabit uh, vineyards they did not plant, drink from wells they did not dig, and move into houses they did not build. So practically, historically, uh, he's taking some precautions here. You go into a house where you think maybe the plague had been, this plague of leprosy. This is what you do to protect that family who's going to live in there. But there, I think there's so much more going on once again. This amazing picture as God begins to uh, maybe put the final touches on this painting. I want you to see what happens. Listen carefully. All that is touched by leprosy was unclean. Everything. And that's the nature of sin. Everything that sin touches is unclean. It affects everything and everybody. Nobody can say that I've sinned and my sin only affects me. No, here's the reality. Sin affects everybody near you, everybody around you. Your sin affects your whole house too. And here's what's going on at the end of this chapter. When a man is unclean, his house is unclean. And the reality is this. We may need to go home to do a little house cleaning. Maybe. Maybe we need to go home and do a little personal inspection as priests of God. Because remember, leprosy was on the brink of an outbreak 
everywhere historically in ancient days. And we should take sin every bit as seriously. Go home and maybe do a little home inspection. Maybe a little house cleaning is in order. Guys, I love you a whole bunch. Let's be those New Testament priests. God bless you. That ancient leprosy is kind of making a comeback too, along with a lot of those ancient diseases that at one time modern medicine had pretty well eliminated. So uh, the short answer is, yeah, it is a different leprosy. It's a different disease than what we normally think of today when you hear about a leper or a leper colony. Where was that, Barry? Yeah, India. Well, Mother Teresa worked her whole ministry in a leper colony. So there is modern leprosy, but it's different than, than leprosy of the ancient, ancient days. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, which, uh, which makes it, I mean, it, it's illustrating it's a different leprosy. It's not the contagious terribly contagious kind of leprosy of the ancient world. As we said, as leprosy, there are two things that could strike fear. I mean, absolute uh, petrified pandemonium into a community in the ancient days that we just take for granted. We can't really fathom. Uh, one would be leprosy, an outbreak of leprosy, and another would be a plague of what? Locusts. Uh, a plague of locusts was a constant threat. And uh, in the ancient days, and they would come strip their crops and eat everything green for miles around, and starvation and famine would quickly set in behind them. And so we take a lot of things for granted in this modern era, don't we? I mean, seriously, take for granted high V right down the road. You know, I'm irritated. I found myself really frustrated yesterday. I really was not having a good day because my tomato plants aren't doing good irritating. Two years in a row, there's this fungus now. Seriously, I read up on it. What is killing my tomato plants? You know, I nurtured them, watered them, fertilized them, trying to take good care of them. There's this fungus. It's in the ground. You can't do anything about it. And the spores in a heavy rain splash up on the leaves, and uh, it will start killing the plant from the bottom up, and it's happening. Again, second year in a row. Frustrating. So angry. Doggone it. But I'm not going to starve to death, right? Our family's going to be fine this winter. And see, um, 
we get frustrated about those little things, but I'm telling you guys, in the ancient days, it was a subsistence living. Your garden didn't do good then. Your family was in trouble. Your crops, your flocks, and uh, leprosy. I mean, there was no, cor- no, no ability to treat it except for quarantine. Imagine your loved one. Imagine somebody near you, a father, mother, wife, husband, son, daughter. They get leprosy. My son just moved 10 hours away, all right? He's quarantined from the family. The 10 hours geographically. But the good news is when I see him, I can at least, you know, hug him. Hey, think about this in ancient days. Your son got leprosy. They were cast out of society. They were quarantined completely outside the camp, out of the community, uh, and you would never get to go near him again. Can you imagine? So you can begin to feel why this was such a serious deal, and God charges these ancient priests with guarding the camp of Israel from an outbreak because it could wipe out entire neighborhoods, entire communities. Uh, would become, imagine, imagine your subdivision becoming a leper colony. That's kind of what was at stake in the ancient world. All right, somebody else, anybody? Hang on. Hey, so guys, I know we can hear each other in here, but we put this online as a thing. So the people listening later online can't hear the questions without the mic. So go ahead. The stones reference is to the walls of the house? Yes. The stone reference is to the walls of the house. Speaking of these uh, houses that, you know, eventually after the conquest of Joshua, uh, the children of uh, Israel, what they do? They moved into other people's homes, other people's houses. And so he was giving them there just a very practical uh, example of what to look for. If you suspect whoever lived here uh, carried the plague, uh, this is what to look for in the house. And you better believe they were looking in the house. And when they saw the streaks that this described on the wall, uh, they would have gotten out, quarantined the house, and then called the priest to come make personal observation before they would go back in. Would you imagine that um, not only the house, but every place that he had dealings, that they would, the priests would need to go and inspect those areas as well? If they knew, absolutely. It was so contagious. So, you know, I think the, the whole application there for our lives, guys, remember, this is really a study on sin, the nature of leprosy. Uh, everything that person had touched, everywhere that person had been was considered unclean. And that's the nature of sin. He's trying to teach us that, uh, you know, this idea that our sin only hurts us, our sin only touches us, it's just not true. Uh, your sin touches everybody near you, and your sin affects everybody around you. Your whole house is unclean by sin. That's the implication. Yep. How did they finally get rid of the leprosy and become clean? I mean, can you outline so, it or what happened? So that's a great question. So we said a couple weeks ago, Leviticus 13, the thing about leprosy is it was always fatal. Or there was no cure in the ancient world. There's no record of anybody surviving it, getting well. It was a slow, gradual death that might take decades. You might carry leprosy 20, 30 years. 
before it finally killed you, but there's no record of anybody surviving it. It will always kill its victim. The wages of sin is death. Once again, there's the parallel. So the only thing I can think of here is that God was making provision for those lepers that would be healed miraculously. It's a miraculous healing here. Uh, and we don't have record of it specifically in the Old Testament. We've got lots of record of it in the New Testament as Jesus would cleanse the lepers. And remember, uh, we only know a fraction of what he actually did. There's a lot of what he did that's never recorded anywhere in the Gospels. There's no telling how many lepers he actually cleansed. And so, uh, you know, my hunch is God is making provision here of as a ceremonially cleansing the leper. You can imagine, if you're an ancient Hebrew... The idea of a leper being cleansed, unimaginable. Hey, don't let him back in here. Get him out of here. Right? He can't come back in here. And so God was giving them steps to ceremonially, publicly recognize that this person is cleansed. And they're welcome back into the greater community because of it. Uh, somebody made this observation, a great observation, I think, as well. What about the priests? I mean, how would you like to have been that guy? Uh, why weren't they getting sick? Well, once again, we don't know. We only have the record of what we have here in Scripture. There's a possibility there were priests that caught leprosy because they dealt with it so often. On the other hand, there's no record that they did either. So I'm personally convinced God was giving these priests a supernatural ability to guard against an outbreak of leprosy, that he was guarding the priests from leprosy. Otherwise, uh, potentially, there wouldn't have been any priests. You think about it, at this time in history, in the book of Leviticus, you've got Aaron the high priest and his sons, and two of them by now are crispy critters, right? They've died. So um, he don't have that many sons. Nadab and Abihu, you know, they brought the strange fire before the Lord. Fire came out and devoured them. That's already behind us. And so... Um, my point is this, if they catch leprosy, we're the priests now. There are no more priests. So I think God is, God is protecting them from leprosy. And there's no record in history of the priests actually catching leprosy. So um, I think God is making provision here in Scripture for those lepers that would be miraculously healed. And there was in the ancient world, not just in the New Testament. You guys remember uh, the Syrian military general Naaman? Right? He had leprosy, and he was a pagan, uh, but somebody had enough sense to say, hey, you need to go see that Hebrew prophet by the name of Elisha, right? And uh, Elisha told him to go do what? Dip seven times in the Jordan. There's that number again, seven. It's everywhere in Scripture, isn't it? Of course, Naaman initially goes, are you kidding me? Of all the beautiful, clean, clear cricks in this part of the world, he wants me to go dip in the muddy Jordan. Uh, but eventually he did, and guess what? On that seventh time, he was cleansed. And so there was a healing even then, but it would have been miraculously God showing his power uh, to those ancient people. Uh, and this is then what they would have done to assimilate back into society, go through this process of two clean birds. Undoubtedly, it would have been a dove. Uh, these were the offerings of those that were poor, so although it doesn't say in Leviticus 14, it's undoubtedly a dove. Of course, a dove is a picture of the Holy Spirit, Matthew 4. As Jesus was baptized, the Spirit of God descended on him like a dove. And so it's not hard to figure out the picture here at all as you connect the dots, is it? You got one dove that would die. 
Another would be left alive. The one that was left alive would be dipped in the blood that had died. And then, of course, uh, he's doing it over running water. A picture of Ephesians 5.26. The washing of water by the word. And out of your belly will flow rivers of living water. John chapter 4. And, of course, Jesus is that living water. Lynn? It's interesting today that we have bacteria, fungus, mold, especially like when they're dealing with the, well, back to Hurricane Katrina or even now that the flood waters are coming in the houses, goes back out. Now they got to clean up and they can deal with the same type of thing, bacteria, fungus, and mold, and the same thing they dealt with back then. I mean, it's like, what's changed? Nothing's changed. We still have sin today, and they had sin back then. We have mold and bacteria and fungi growing, and they had had it also. Yeah, something else. There were a lot of things back then that could kill a person. There's a lot of things today, guess what? They can kill a person. I mean, there's new diseases we have today that they'd never heard of back then. So the germs just keep evolving, just getting smarter. Yeah, here he comes, Flash Gordon. Is there any reason to think that the people that got leprosy, that it was associated with their sin in their life? Well, there's no direct relationship there in Scripture, okay? Uh, so uh, I don't think that we can say emphatically. You remember in Mark chapter 9, you know, by the time of Christ, the Jews, the Hebrews were taught that sin uh, and sickness were always related. And if you were born with a debilitating condition, let's say, uh, you, were, you were immediately asking, what was the sin? What caused this? And in Mark chapter 9, the disciples and Jesus came on a man who'd been born blind. And they asked this question. They asked Jesus, uh, whose sin is the one that caused this man to be born blind? Was it his sin or his parents' sin? And you remember what Jesus says in Mark chapter 9. He said, no, you guys are asking the wrong question. He said it wasn't his sin or his parents' sin. This man was born blind that the works of God might be made manifest in him and through him. And so uh, there's nothing in the text that would say there's a direct relationship between the leper and one who gets leprosy uh, as it directly relates to their sin. But when you go to James chapter 5, there's clearly a connection at times, not always, but there's sometimes a connection according to James chapter 5, between sin and sickness. So the answer is, I mean, it's possible, but certainly not absolutely always would you draw a relationship there. But, but just, you know, for our sake in Bible study, just remember leprosy is a picture of sin. And every time Jesus cleansed the leper, it was a picture of what he would do in our lives of cleansing us from within. And that's why Jesus did those miracles. He uh, made the blind to see because we are blinded spiritually, right? 2 Corinthians 4, 4, the God of this age has blinded the mind of them that believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel should shine unto them. He says, if our gospel is hid, it is hid to them that are perishing. 
And so until the Holy Spirit lift the veil from off the eyes of our understanding, we can't be saved. And so when Jesus would make the blind to see, that would be a picture spiritually of what he'd do for you and me. Uh, it's uh, the same every time he would make the lame to walk again, a picture spiritually of all of us personally. We are spiritually uh, in a place where we're lame, we're crippled. We can't, we can't walk spiritually. We can't walk with God because we've got a broken leg spiritually and he would make the lame to walk again, right? And it would be the same then when he cleansed the leper and he'd cleanse the leper over and over again, a picture that he would cleanse us of our sin. And we made this observation, guys. You, you uh, would see where the blind would be healed, the lame man would be healed, but the leper was never healed. He was what? The leper said to be cleansed. He wasn't healed. He was cleansed. And that's a picture of the nature of our sin. Um, you've been cleansed of your sin, but you haven't yet been fully healed of your sin. You know how we know? Because you can still what? Sin. There you go. Still lurking within. Now, Isaiah 53, 5 says, by his stripes we are healed but remember, our salvation is not a one and done. Our salvation is progressive. Uh, we've been healed instantly of sin's penalty. But we haven't yet been healed fully of sin's power. We're in process. Healing is not merely a destiny. It's a journey. And so that's why we're said to be cleansed of our sin but not yet fully healed of our sin. One day we'll stand in that third stage of salvation, glorification, and we will be fully healed, completely holy, just like him, without sin. Just imagine what that will be like. You'll never again get underneath each other's skin. Just imagine. You'll never again get in the flesh and get frustrated over tomato plants that are dying yep but that's gonna come next it's not yet somebody else Margie I don't I don't suppose this is the same kind of leprosy in Hawaii but they had 8,000 patients that once lived in isolation there that were lepers and the priest the 8,000 people in Hawaii yes if this is correct, what I'm reading, um, Malokai, M-A-L-O-K-A-I. What year was that? Well, that doesn't give the year, but earlier it was 1865 to 1969. If you're going to be quarantined anywhere in the world. That'd be a good place. <laughs> Hawaii. But huh? the priests there did, did contract it. Yeah, also. I'm not sure if that's the same leprosy or not that we're reading about yeah, now. I don't know how, how you would know. It like, doesn't mm -hmm. really say. It's got the Bible quoted in there, but... I'm not sure either. I didn't realize there were that many. Yep. Okay. Doesn't have to be a question. Say what? Oh, in Hawaii? Okay, the priest did die from it. Somebody else? Yeah. When Jesus uh, cleans the lepers, he will always tell them to go to the priest and show themselves. There you go. Did he do that just to let them know that he was the Messiah? 
uh, he would tell them, go to the priest and show yourself for the very reason right here, Leviticus 14. Um, they couldn't assimilate back into society until they'd present themselves to the priest and go through these steps that we've read about right here in Leviticus 14. And then they could assimilate back in the community. They could assimilate back into their families. And that's the reason why. They were clinically clean, but they were not ceremonially clean. There had to be that ceremonial process where they would be publicly recognized as a uh, leper no more. Anybody else? Okay. So uh, I'm going to go and pray for us. We have a business meeting tonight. If you want to hang around, stick around. And uh, we have a, a quarterly business meeting scheduled for tonight. It won't take that long. You're welcome to stay. If you decide you want to leave, I'm not going to be offended. It's okay. But if you want to stick around, we'll probably get going in about 15 minutes, okay? All right. Love you guys a whole bunch. Let's pray. Jesus, we're so thankful tonight that we are indeed a picture of this dove that you set free, dipped in your blood. Lord, I pray that we'd never forget, that we'd never take it for granted, that, Lord, you set that dove free, having been dipped in that blood, and you set it free in a field. Lord, we know that Matthew 13 tells us that this field is a picture of the world, that, Lord, you've set us free so that we could be those ones that go into the harvest field and labor for the fields that are wide into harvest. And I pray, God, you give us a greater burden, a greater desire to see those set free that are still in captivity, that are still in that place of leprosy. Lord, we ask for a move of the Holy Spirit this week, a move of the Holy Spirit in the weeks ahead, that, God, you would move in us and through us, that, Lord, we could see greater things in our city as we prepare to launch Blue Springs later this year, Lord. We pray for a move of God, a work of God, and that, Lord, you would help us to work that field of Blue Springs as we've worked this one and Lee Summit. Lord, you promised the fields are wide unto harvest. We trust you as the Lord of the harvest. God, I pray blessing tonight on every person here in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. I'll see you next time, Leviticus chapter 15. If you want to stick around, we'll get going here in a few minutes.